0: This podcast is gold, basketball gold. You're tuned into the best Cleveland Cavaliers podcast in all the land. Basketball Gold, hosted by Mike Fratello and Jeff Phelps. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Basketball Gold with Fratello and Phelps. I'm the Phelps part of that. I'm Jeff Phelps, and my partner, longtime NBA head coach, longtime NBA broadcaster, a man I've known for a long time, and I'm very happy to be working with him on this, Mike Fratello. Hello, coach.
1: How are you? A little upset about this opening because it could have been like where well, you said, Hi, everyone, I'm Jeff Phelps. And then I could have come in and said, Hi, everyone, I'm Mike Fratello, the other half of the podcast. But it didn't work out that way. But I'm not trying oh. to have problems early on. I partner. thought I'd kind
0: of give you a great big build-up. I would left out the Zara the Telestrator. But i said one of the best color analysts ever that that's the fact well i appreciate that very much thank you partner you're you're welcome very much uh mike and i have known each other since mike was the coach of the cavaliers starting in 1994 we've worked together we've watched a lot of basketball together i'm proud to say that i've learned a ton from you and i'm looking forward to doing this with you and uh, just to set the record for everybody, you're working with Cleveland Cavalier telecast. You're working with Los Angeles Clipper telecast. So you're all over the NBA.
1: Yeah, the show was hard doing the game a couple nights ago when the Cavaliers played at the Clippers. Uh, and here I am broadcasting that game for Clipper TV. And I had just come from broadcasting a Cavaliers game uh, on the road or in Cleveland, I should say. So it made it a little bit strange uh, trying to be neutral down the road. You know the difference between local broadcasts and when you're doing something for, let's say, a TNT or NBA TV. There you can have more of an opinion, whereas if you're doing your local broadcast, you are slightly favoring the home team. Being honest, obviously pointing sure. out what should be pointed out, but you do lean a little bit towards the home team. So in that broadcast, there were two home teams for me. So I tried to be in the middle of the road uh, in reporting what was going on in the game.
0: Well, and you've always done such things. There have been big storylines in the NBA so far this season. Some teams that everybody thinks will be doing great things this year, not doing very well. Other teams really coming out and making a strong impression. And Mike, even though the Cavaliers during this road trip have lost two straight games here after starting with two straight wins... The Cavs are one of those stories where they've been one of the feel-good stories, one of the, hey, watch these guys' stories in the NBA right now with a record of 8-3. and three. Donovan Mitchell's a key to that. We're going to talk a lot about Donovan coming up a little bit later on in the podcast, and we're going to talk about what's coming up with the end of the road trip and some other things around the NBA. But, Mike, your first impressions of what you've seen from the Cavaliers through the first 11 games or so?
1: I've been very fortunate. As you know, Jeff, the Cavaliers are kind enough to give the uh, people that are covering them either on radio, TV, or doing a pre-post game show, they give them access to the practices. And that's a trust uh, between the organization, the front office, the PR department, and the coaching staff that what goes on in the practice stays in the practice. It's So you guys are there covering them can gain some kind of knowledge, some kind of insight as to why a coach might be making a move, et cetera, during the course of a game. It also gives you a chance to see if someone's injured, are they coming back? Uh, so that when you do your reporting, uh, you really have a, a, an insight as to what's going on and why it's going on. So there's a trust that's been built up there. And uh, I'm saying all this because I have to say that J.B. uh has done an incredible job in teaching this group of young men from day one Uh, they are thoroughly prepared you will not have one of the players say I didn't know my role Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I was supposed to do or I was confused on that's not happening because he is so thorough on his communication to the players and what they expect of them and it's helped them to get out to this quick start Uh, they have depth they put together a really good roster Uh, he can on a given night turn to the bench and expect that he's going to get productivity from the bench. And every once in a while, it doesn't happen. And last night's game was one of those where the Sacramento bench uh, really did a great job uh, versus the second unit from the Cavaliers. But I think in last night's game, we also saw the effect of and how powerful the three ball is in the NBA nowadays. Because there are going to be certain nights where you just don't make shots from behind the three-point line. And if your opponent shoots enough of them and they're making them, you're in trouble. You're Mm. in for a long night because you can't guard everything all the time. You have to give something up to take away something else. Last night, an 18-point differential from Sacramento's three-point line to the Cavaliers' three-point line. And you see how a team like Sacramento suddenly can knock off a Cavalier team just by taking so many more and making so many more three-point shots.
0: One thing about the Sacramento game, Mike, and you can go to the Clippers game and you can go to the Lakers game as well, and it's not what J.B. Bickerstaff has been preaching to the team. They gave up 60 or more points in the first half of each of those three games and 69 points in the first half uh, against the Sacramento Kings. And he said, J.B., after the game, maybe arrogance on our part, where we're thinking we can just come back and do that. You were known for having very, very good defensive teams. How do you instill that, especially in a group, Mike, that's just coming together? Well, you'd have to say that uh, the game
1: has changed so much now. Uh, Everything that you hear from organizations is pace, is tempo. We have to play at a a higher tempo, a higher pace. We have to take more three-point shots. So uh, what 48-52 to was back when I was coaching – Is that now 58 to 62? Mm. When you think about the use of the three-point shot now, I I go way back to the series, the great series between the Boston Celtics and the team I was coaching in Atlanta. I think combined in game seven, there were nine three-point attempts taken, combined (laughs) both teams (laughs) together. So it's changed a little bit now because you've got teams taking 48 to 53-point shot tonight. So I understand what what Coach Bickerstaff is saying. From day one, he has preached to this team. We are a defensive team first. We'll be good at the defensive end, and our offense will come. And, And this is what happens sometimes. You get that slippage. It happens a lot when you go on long trips. You don't get a chance to practice. You don't get a chance to refresh the fundamentals of keeping the ball in front of you closing out to three-point shooters. And as a result of that, when you do get your first day that you can have a legitimate practice, you go to your list of things that you've written down on a long road trip of where the slippage is taking place. You have game slippage uh, everywhere all season long when you don't get a chance to repeat or practice the things that are the core, the basics of your offense or your defense. And that's what happens. You get a little bit of slippage, perhaps, as he said, maybe you start thinking, hey, you know, we're pretty good. And you don't play quite as hard as you did in the previous games. And then a team like Sacramento, who has been waiting to win, they've been building up talent. And everybody in Sacramento keeps saying next year's all you year. And that year hasn't come yet. Well, they bring Mike Brown in, who is a very solid coach. And they're just starting to believe in what Mike Brown is preaching. Some players have matured. They've added some young talent. And it's a pretty good roster that Sacramento has. So they can catch you every once in a while.
0: Mike, you were talking about the bench. And, and again, Sacramento, it had a tough time. I, I was doing a little digging today, and I thought this was really interesting. Right now, the Cavs are playing their starters more minutes than any other team in the NBA. And I thought, okay, you have Donovan Mitchell coming in. Why would that happen right now? Is it because you're looking for a good start? Is it because you're looking to get these guys used to each other? And, of course, with Darius Garland being out with his eye injury, you know he wasn't in there with Donovan in that whole unit. Is it a chance for JB to try and hammer home, hey, this is our five and this is what we're doing, or why do you think it might be?
1: There's a lot of things you can bring up there, Jeff, with that question. It's a, a good question but a tough question because there has to be a read. You know, nowadays, every organization has so many people between the medical staff that they can turn to on their coaching staff that dictate workload and Mm -hmm. workload terminology that we didn't use back when I was coaching. There wasn't a big concern about workload. If you were a star player and you were the best player on the team, you're going to play a lot of minutes because you're going to carry the team. You're out there. It was. I remember a great story when my first season as a head coach in Atlanta, we played our first exhibition game against the Boston Celtics up in Boston. Bill Fitch was the coach. And at the end of the game, you know, I had every player broken down. Five guys with 22 minutes or 23 minutes. And then the next five guys with 18 or 16 minutes. And then the next five guys somewhere at 10 to 12 minutes. Give everybody a chance. First game, you know, exhibition game. Why not? Maybe 10, 12 days into the the practice schedule. and When the game ends, we're walking out, and I'm reading the stat sheet, and I look, and here comes Coach Fitch the other way. We kind of ran into each other, and I said, Coach, let me ask you a question as as a young coach. This is game one of the exhibition season. There will be six or seven more, and then the 82 games that really count. I'm looking at Larry Bird's name. He played 42 minutes tonight in the exhibition game. Why? And he looked at me and said, because he's going to play 44 to 46 every night during the regular season. I got to get him in shape to play those minutes. And that was the philosophy back then. Larry Bird was going to play a lot of minutes, which Larry Bird was okay with. There was nobody saying to Bill Fitch, hey, you know, we have to watch this workload. You know, we have to manage it better. So having said all that, what's the philosophy of the staff? I'm sure the staff, meaning head coach, assistant, have talked with, the medical staff that they have with the front office the president general manager whatever and said how are we playing how many people we're we using are we going 10 deep are we going nine eight depending and are you okay if the player's okay with it if he can handle the workload are you okay if we play him 38 40 minutes a night and when all that's discussed there are some players that are going to be you know the entire season they're going to be monitored And the coach is going to be restricted to only X number of minutes. So I would assume that Coach Bickerstaff has spoken to his medical group, his trainer, uh, the support people there, uh, the ones that are watching workload, minutes, et cetera. They adjust their practice schedule accordingly. Maybe you can't have the same hard practices that you want to have. All that goes into that answer, into that decision-making process. And there is a thing called winning games. That becomes so important. You want the guys on the floor. They're going to help you win the most games. Because down the road, you'd like to have home court advantage in the playoffs. And then on and on and on from there.
0: This is Basketball Gold with Fratello and Phelps. He's the Fratello. Mike Fratello, former NBA head coach. Longtime NBA analyst. As good as you get, in my opinion. I'm Jeff Phelps. And we're talking Cleveland Cavaliers basketball right now. And Mike Donovan Mitchell in particular. Obviously the Cavs, one of three teams in the offseason who made the whopper of a deal. DeJounte Murray goes to Atlanta, lots of draft picks. Rudy Gobert goes to Minnesota, lots of draft picks. And Donovan Mitchell comes to Cleveland, lots of draft picks, along with Lowry Markin, and Colin Sexton in this year's first round draft pick. He's already leading the NBA in minutes played, 39 per game. He has shown, especially when Darius Garland went out, okay, this is what I can do for your team. What do you think of a move like that where and you you give up an absolute boatload, Mike, but you bring in a guy who's going to be the centerpiece of your franchise for a number of years to come.
1: You know what a good trade is? A good trade is one that both teams benefit from it. And I'd have to say right now, Utah's extremely happy. Yeah. And the Cavaliers should be very happy. They got an elite player, a player who, want, look, scoring 50 points, not an easy thing to do in an nba game this guy's done it two or three times already in the playoffs Mm. where it's even harder to do that it's he's a guy that you can give the ball to and say we need a bucket right now go get one for us yet at the same time he's very unselfish and he came in uh, to the Cavalier organization saying i know i have to improve in certain areas one of which is on the ball defense i'm going to work at that and he truly has he's gotten better at guarding the basketball when it's his man, his responsibility. But then as you know, there's so much switching nowadays, who you start out with, very seldom do you wind up with that same guy at the end of a possession because of the screening and cutting and switching that goes on in defenses now. But Donovan Mitchell was an incredible catch. As he admitted, I thought I was going back home to New York because the Knicks had worked so hard, so long in trying to get him. But what happened is the Cavs upped the ante They figured everything out, what they could afford to give away and still be a very good basketball team if they acquired Donovan Mitchell. Those draft picks, if you're going to finish with top five, top eight record in the NBA, how good are those draft picks going to be down the road because you're going to be picking at 23 or 24 or 25? So you look at all that and you you weigh it out and you say, this is what we're going to get for it. Uh, And I'm just thinking as uh, we're talking about our previous little bit of conversation about the workload in the 39 minutes for Donovan Mitchell. And I'll say this. I saw a guy last night while I was doing a game. He's 37 years old right now. He's going to be 38 years old on his next birthday, which is coming along very shortly. And soon, he will break the all-time scoring record Hmm. in the NBA held by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. His name is LeBron James. And he's played a lot of minutes in his career, but he's worked on his body to maintain the level that he knows he has to be at if he wants to play a lot of minutes and if he wants to be successful. So for a guy like Donovan, it's going to require the same thing, the maintenance of his body, the workouts on days in the off season that other guys may not do that he's willing to pay the price to do that to be able to come back the next season. be stronger and last longer and avoid serious injuries that can knock them out for a long period of time but i don't know if the Cavs really knew how good donovan mitchell was because you know the eastern conference only plays the western conference teams two times uh, during the course of the season i got to see donovan mitchell a lot doing the clipper games on tv this guy is something else he's explosive he can handle He plays at different speeds, which is so important in the NBA. You can go 100 miles an hour when you need to, and yet you can back it off to 75 miles an hour to slow down and get a read and and get a better feel for what the defense is trying to do at certain times. He's unselfish. He can run the point, make the right decision with the basketball, yet he can score big numbers if you need him on certain nights. He has range on the shot, takes contact, going to the basket, makes his free throws. Is he the tallest two-guard slash point guard in the NBA? No, that's 6'2". He's an average-sized guy. There was a guy in Detroit named Joe Dumars that wasn't (laughs) any bigger than 6'2", but pretty good player, and they won a couple championships with Dumars in the backcourt with Isaiah Thomas. So this is a special guy that Cleveland was able to come up with.
0: Mike, I think one thing that's been really impressive, the Cavs have been able to win eight wins in their first 11 games Well, you have two guys who are, you know, high scoring guards, both like having the ball in their hands, trying to figure it out together back there, along with trying to get everybody else involved. And when the Mitchell trade happened, Darius Garland was all excited about it. He was giddy about it. Donovan Mitchell was happy to be coming in and playing with Darius Garland. That's all well and good. Their intentions are terrific, but still you have to get out there on the floor. And figure out how to play together and then darius's eye injury doesn't help that speed up that process at all yet they've been winning how difficult is it or or is it not to have a couple of guys like that who are smaller guards both are are scorers both can pass the ball and develop that chemistry that ultimately mike you're going to have to have to get to where you want to be i
1: think the key word you just said is develop because When a guy comes in new to the organization, you can say what you want Uh, as a coaching staff. You know, we watch hours and hours of tape of when Donovan played for Utah and stuff that they ran for him. And maybe we'll implement part of that. However, having said that, it's still not him on the court with the chemistry, with the feel for his backcourt partner, who he has watched from afar, but being at practice every day, being in the starting backcourt together. Uh, A couple things that you have to guard against. You have to guard against two guards that can be that dominant if they're not willing to share the basketball. Then you get three other guys standing around watching them play the game and the other guys aren't involved in the game. So you have to trust these people that they're going to move the ball and this all comes through that communication process with the head coach. J.B. does an incredible job of letting the players understand what he wants, what he believes in, and how they have to play. And it's not just the team meetings where stuff comes up. It's the individual meetings that either JB or one of his assistant Mm -hmm. coaches has the assignment of sit down with whoever and let's get this message across to him so he understands we can be really good if we move the ball, if we move bodies, and if we pass the ball to the guy who's got the best shot. And if you make a decision and pass the ball and that guy's got a good shot – but one more pass leads to a better shot, then that's what we need to do. And that's how you get all five guys involved. The unselfishness of that player, it has to do with the character, the basketball mentality of those two guys. Both of these players will make plays for their teammates willingly and are happy when it leads to a score for their teammates. They both understand. The ball and basketball always seems to wind up back in the hands of the best players on the team. So those two guys understand they're going to have the ball in their hands so much of the time. But now, how do you get the other guys productive? How do you get them to stay involved in the game? And that's by making things happen with the ball that all of a sudden you can reward them and give them an open shot, an open look. It's no fun for a player in the NBA with two seconds remaining on the twenty-four seconds clock that your teammate suddenly goes... Oh, God, I don't have a shot. Here, you take it. And good luck. <laughs> the ball, and they go create something. <laughs> you guy's like, well, how about give me yeah. a few more seconds next time? So all this has to be worked out, and that's the process that they're going through right now. It doesn't happen in 10, 11, 12 games. It takes time. I always said around the 20-game mark a coach, GM, that's when they should have a pretty good feel of here's who we are, here's who I can use and trust, And we should kind of know each other at that point. I know 20 sounds like a lot. It's a quarter of the season. Yeah, That's it.
0: You mentioned get the other guys involved. Evan Mobley in his rookie year, Mike showed that he has the potential to become a really big-time player. Does he have to be patient? Do the coaches have to be patient? Do Darius and and Donovan have to figure it out first between them before they bring everybody else along? We've seen it in spurts. You know, Karis Levert had a a, a 40 point game. Karis had a, a 20 point game, very effective against Sacramento. We've seen Evan Mobley have big games, but I don't know that it's the consistency that the Cavaliers want yet. Do Darius and Donovan have to figure it out first, or how does that all mesh?
1: Well, I think Mobley, uh, coming back in the beginning of the season, I'm not sure he knew totally how much they wanted him to assert himself because. Here, you, all of a sudden, you take on an all-star guard, a guy who's going to be in the top 10 scores in the NBA all season long. You pair him up with Darius, who was an all-star guard last year. The youngster's saying, how much should I do? How many shots should I try to get during the course of the game? So if you think back, maybe games one through four, Mobley kind of sat back a little bit and was not overly assertive. If the ball came to him, Fine. But then you had games like recently, where how about the game where both Darius, okay, and Donovan were out, and they go up to was at Detroit, I believe. It was Detroit. They yeah. Then decision by the coaching staff is we're going to pound Detroit inside. And hey, Allen, Mobley, Love, um, Wade, you guys, we're coming at you tonight with the basketball. We need you to get us points. We've got over. A 45, 50 points sitting out in our backcourt right now. So as a result of that, just a great job of executing offense. Big men to big men passing on the inside. Our big guys were really involved uh, in that game, and they got a win at Detroit. So it says something about in time, you figure it out. You figure your spots out on the floor. You can't have Mobley all the time down on the low post because then there's no room for Allen down there. You don't want Allen... Shooting jumpers from the top of the circle all night. So you figure all that out. Who would you rather have between the two of them? If Kevin Love's not on the floor, you know that we're fine with Love behind the three point line. But those two other big men on the inside, which one of those two are you more comfortable with? Right now, it seems that Mobley's the choice. And Mobley works hard every day after practice at increasing his range because they understand he's got to be a threat from the three-point line when he's on the floor with Allen and love is not out there on the floor to open up the defenses that are going to play against them.
0: This is basketball gold with Fratello and Phelps thrilled to be with you. It's our debut episode. Cavaliers are finishing up a road trip. Mike, the schedule, I think though, there's a road trip involved here has been pretty favorable for the Cavaliers. Uh, Most of their wins have come against teams that don't have winning records. The Boston Celtics, obviously, they beat the Celtics twice, an exception to that. And the Clippers have, have boosted things a little bit. And so there's there's an opportunity there, even though that didn't go the Cavaliers' way. But the, the schedule's worked in their favor. They have another team on this road trip who they finish it up with, and I don't care what their record is. Uh, you're playing the Golden State Warriors. If If you're Steve Kerr right now, are you concerned about your team getting off to a slow start?
1: My goodness, I don't know how much you get to listen to during the course of the day, but being on the road to I am right now yeah. and having TV on all day and mostly listening to basketball-related shows, yesterday, the day before, they're blowing it up as far as Golden State needs to make a change. They've already had – yesterday, let me see, they were trading Draymond Green. That was one of the guys they wanted out of there. And uh, Clay Thompson. Those were the names that came up mostly yesterday. It's time to get rid of those two guys. Wow. Bring whomever in that they had on the other end of the trades, and that'll be what'll turn Golden State around. And Steve Kerr has been around long enough, been involved in enough games, both as a player, uh, as a, an analyst, and as a coach, uh, won enough games and championships as a player and as a coach that the one thing he's not going to do and his front office is not going to do is panic and break up a group that has won what four championships in six years. Mm -hmm. So, uh, right now, when you continually go to the finals, NBA finals, NBA finals, it's hard to come back the next year. And in that first part of the season, kick it in, right where you left off the season before, there's that little bit of hangover left over. Sometimes you have to work your way back into it. Sometimes adversity has to take place to wake the team up and get them back on the level that they're used to playing at. Uh, Guys who are rewarded from the year before with new contracts or extensions. They come back and maybe they're not quite the same as they were the year before because they had been rewarded and they feel a little bit secure financially in their lives and their careers. So all of that, it's getting them back in place. Uh, Everything has to align once again to get the team back on track. I don't know anybody that feels comfortable going in and playing against the Golden State Warriors that you're not going to have to defend. You're not going to have to deal with some of the outstanding guards uh, and reserves and defensive player and a guy like Draymond you know, and a young guy who's developing for them. So um, how about Wiggins in the finals? Okay, he, he wound yeah. up taking the next step finally. He was, he was terrific. Career. People have been waiting and waiting for Wiggins to get to that point. Uh, and then being around some vets who have been there before who said to him, just do what we tell you to do, follow us, and everything's going to be okay. We need you. And here's where we need you, is to defend the best guy on the other team. And if you can do that, don't worry about your points. We'll find you enough times for you to score. And he did just that and it was another championship. So uh, I'm not ready yet to break up Golden state. I don't think Steve and the front office are ready to break him up yet. But let's wait and see what happens over the next 10 to 15 games.
0: You mentioned another team that's been struggling. It's the team that uh, shares the building with the Clippers, who you do games with, and that's the Lakers. It's tough to see LeBron on a team that doesn't have a, a good record. That's the case right now with Anthony Davis, with Russell Westbrook. What do they do there, Mike? God, you
1: didn't have to ask such a
0: hard question, did you? Sorry, I will. I'm sorry <laughs> because it's a podcast. We're allowed to throw anything in.
1: That that is that is such a topic, isn't it? Though you know, not only out here uh, in Los Angeles, where I am now, but you know, on radio, on talk shows, on television. On what do you what do you do is one yeah. question. What can you do is another question. And sometimes when your hands are tied. And they're tied in a number of different ways, whether you don't have picks to use to give up, whether you don't have enough money anymore after having given, you know, LeBron's last two-year extension that you just gave him was only, I think, $97 million for the two years. So how many times can you do that over and over again? Uh, people are getting uh, getting old, uh, fed up with Anthony Davis that they, they feel he's always hurt. You can't count on him for 70 to 75 games a year. So, you know, he's one of the guys they should get rid of. Obviously, in putting this roster together, there were some things that happened along the way that we won't know publicly probably ever. Uh, but the people on the inside know why they didn't make certain moves that they could have made. And as a result, to play with LeBron James and think about everywhere that he's won, you have to surround him with shooters. He's going to command double teams. He's going to break down defenses off the dribble because he bullies his way wherever he wants with that body, with that physique, with the weight. And somebody who's trying to guard him that is not as strong, as big, he just moves him out of the way. Well, now you have to bring another guy. And the Clippers last night did a really good job. LeBron had a terrific game, shot the ball extremely well. However, they had him off balance. They trapped right away. They kind of trapped, but didn't really... Then they trapped late, and LeBron was constantly looking, looking, looking to see where they were coming from, so they kept him off balance. But when he does pass the ball out, if there aren't guys making shots, and the Lakers have struggled this year to make shots from the perimeter, they just don't have a lot of really good shooters from the outside. And they may get going for a quarter, maybe for a half, but inevitably it gets back to they miss shots, they turn the ball over, I was counting, and at one point, the Lakers had six or seven layup attempts, bounce off the backboard, rim, and miss, because either the guy was driving so hard that he banged it off it, it didn't have that touch to roll in, but that's a lot of layups to give up when you're that close to the rim, and that's what's been happening. They miss shots, they turn the ball over, and defensively, when you're constantly running back in transition, it's tough to say, we're going to be good defensively. Tough to be good defensively when you're always playing transition defense, trying to catch up to the other team. So that's just a couple of the problems that they're facing right now. And then uh, the last thing I needed was LeBron tweaking uh, a groin muscle last right. time. He felt a little bit of a, a twinge down there, and they walked off the court in the fourth quarter, and they took him right on into the locker room. Uh, as he said in the press conference afterwards, he said, it's not as bad as the previous one he had had back a ways where it kept knocked him out for a while. But he felt that little bit of something going on Then and they're trying to protect it. So will he play next game? Who knows? It may take him a couple games sitting out for them to work on it where well, he can come back and play.
0: Let's go to the Eastern Conference. Miami, you know they're always good. Right now they're off to a slow start. Brooklyn, there are issues there like crazy. Milwaukee has been terrific. Uh, you have Atlanta, who's played well. You have Toronto, who you know is going to be competitive, Mike. You have the Cavaliers off to a great start. This conference in the East, I, I don't know if it's been this competitive in in a long, long time. Is, is there a team or two that you think, all right, this is the team, maybe other than Milwaukee, who you, I think we all think they're, they're going to be there, who you think this might be the team that moves up. You know, your, your Hawks look terrific. Chicago has some talent. I mean, there are a lot of teams in the East. What you
1: wonder is which team, when they're evaluating where they are right now, when they're evaluating how they're playing, is willing to make a move and go after somebody else that might be the difference maker. Hmm. You have teams that are waiting for guys to come back. Let's just use the Cavaliers as an example. Ricky Rubio, hopefully at some point here in the not too distant future, is going to rejoin this Cavalier team. Think about the level they played at last year when Rubio was playing in the beginning of last season.
0: He was really good. And then down the stretch
1: when they lost him, how they just quite didn't have enough. So that will make the Cavaliers a stronger team when Rubio comes back. And you have other teams out there right now that have guys that are injured that are waiting for them to come back. And when they do, they'll make a significant difference. But the Eastern Conference is a monster right now. And then you have to factor in things like players are better when they're happy and they're not feeling pressure from different sources. I'm not talking about the pressure of, hey, tonight we have to play against a really good Milwaukee. Not that kind of pressure. The pressure from situations that come up that really aren't basketball-related issues but because the media jumps on it, it puts pressure on a team. We can use Brooklyn. A year ago, it was Kyrie Irving not getting vaccinated. Therefore, he could only play road games, not home games. So how many guys on that roster were unhappy with the fact, like, Kyrie, go take the vaccination. Help right. the try and win games. You don't know the underlying thing. Now this year, the incident comes up. Will Kyrie post something? Probably. Uh, Not a good decision. If he could do it again, you'd hope that he would make a better decision when he had that choice. But he did it. And as a result, it turned that team again into team turmoil with the outside pressures that were added. Steve Nash, as great a player as he was, uh, as well as he did in communicating with the guys in Brooklyn, it may not have been his fault. It may have been the result of all this outside influence of. Because he's the guy that had to coach that team every night. Even though certain players may not have been there mentally because of all the other stuff going on. And now, think about it. They make a change. Steve Nash is gone. They bring in Vaughn. And for some reason, whatever it is, maybe it's the amount of communication that he did with the players as the assistant coach. But all of a sudden, they go out now and – four or five games that he's coached, and they play extremely hard, they play extremely well, and we're seeing a different Kevin Durant playing for them right now. So watch out, because Brooklyn could be dangerous if they keep playing at this level, and if they understand that, you know, this is our new guy and he's with us now for this year and next year on the contract situation. Uh, They're dangerous, the Brooklyn Nets. We saw that last night when they really demolished the New York Knicks. Um, and other teams we could go into of the group that you mentioned there, they all have the potential uh, to be really good. Um, But then you always worry about that injury factor, because if the injury factor knocks out a key guy, that could cost you a season.
0: So, Mike, with all these teams in the Eastern Conference, it's going to be competitive for the Cavaliers each and every night. Good start. is terrific. That's what you want. But this thing is going to be a grind for everybody in the East and Cavaliers included.
1: I think you like the idea of getting out early and get your name at the top of that list in the Eastern Conference. Don't think there's not going to be battles over on the Western side because you have teams emerging there like the Utah Jazz that nobody thought was going to be any good. And suddenly they're really good. looks like Sacramento is just starting to now buy into Mike Brown's philosophy. So uh, as a coach, I know I'd love getting out early, getting a quick start, I've also been on the other side of it where one of those Cavs teams, as you remember, Jeff, started out 0 7. Yeah. When we had to dig our way out of that, and that team wound up winning 45 games and and going on to the playoffs that particular year. So, you know, you make adjustments. uh, All of a sudden, you know, you may tweak something here or there, change your philosophy, but you do what was right for the team. If the team buys in, it gives you a chance. Eastern Conference is going to be something. And I just keep looking and hoping that the Cavs name is at the top of the list not sliding back down i think for sure they get rubio back we should expect them to be up there in the top 3 or 4 names
0: all right you're on the road you're in a hotel we killed about 45 minutes for you uh, of road time doing a podcast should we do another one sometime down the road here
1: i'm available anytime except when it's time to drink a little red wine at dinner <laughs> I'm not or when sure, or I'm when you have sure a
0: game at that time okay <laughs> That sounds good. Mike, I'm looking forward to this. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. It's Basketball Gold for Tello and Phelps. We'll see you next time.